Welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast. Your favorite melanated Monas who have given you a whole four episodes of unfiltered, unshakable, unbothered conversation are back to kick it with you. We've done this in a couple of other episodes. We always have a fun way of introducing ourselves. And this episode is about trauma. Don't don't don't. Uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta make it light, right? <laughs> you gotta laugh to keep from crying, right? So the way we're going to introduce ourselves this time is we are going to talk about traumas that we have worked through or that we're excited to leave behind. And we're gonna start with Channing. Hi guys, I'm Channing Hargrove, and the trauma that I'm leaving behind, but not quite there yet, is poverty-based trauma and operating from a space of lack. Because mm, oh. you got it. Sis. I have it. You I have, have it. it. Abundance, baby. Abundance. The house of abundance. Hello? I'm manifesting. Larice <laughs> McMillian. My name is Larice McMillian, and one of the traumas that I am currently in the process of letting go of is jealousy in my relationships. It's just no good that can come from it. Raven Baker. That is me. Hey, guys. It's Raven. A part of trauma that I'm very excited to leave behind is feeling like my traumas are my narrative, like they're my story. Mm. They're not me. I'm not my traumas. There's something that happened to me. Amen. I'm, yeah, I'm not defined by them. Mm-hmm. Love that. I love that. Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm Danielle Cadet, and a trauma that I am working through and excited to leave behind is something that I kind of call immigrant trauma and an immigrant mentality. I'm first-generation American, and I feel like I've been taught to feel bad for my struggles because my family has always been through something worse. The thing about trauma is I feel like it's kind of one of those buzzwords, right? Like we have a lot of words now that we use Mm -hmm. relatively often as we become more in touch with ourselves. And I feel like trauma is one of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think people can define it differently, right? To me, what trauma is, is a moment, a shift, like you feel a before and after. I was one way and now I'm another. Like an emotional scar. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Not all scars are bad, though. No, not all scars are bad, but not all trauma is bad either. Exactly. And a lot of us have experienced that, especially the fact that like trauma really sticks with you. It sticks to your ribs. It becomes part of you. I think each of us have, you know, trauma that we've dealt with, whether Mm -hmm. it's intergenerational, whether it's something with family, you know, and that really changes us. That Mm -hmm. it definitely affects the kind of woman that you become. And I want to dig into that. Go ahead, Raven. Come on. Tell Um, us what you got. I think that I struggle with family breakdowns, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a breakdown in communication and suddenly your mom is beefing with your nana, your mm-hmm. nana beefing with your nephew, your nephew mm-hmm. beefing. Nana stay beefing. Nana y'all. stay beefing. But <clears throat> that made me feel so guilty mm-hmm. and it made me fearful that I was going to lose my family, right? Ooh. And that guilt and that fear, like going from being a person who was free of that and then you know, the after of being someone who is burdened by that, Mm -hmm. you carry it over into every other facet of your life. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly moving through everything, feeling guilty for taking up space, feeling guilty for being present, Mm -hmm. fearing that, you know, because you're here in this space and maybe you don't know if you should be there, that someone will take it away from you. Mm -hmm. And you don't really realize what that does to your mental Mm -hmm. stability until you look up one day and you're in therapy. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of children suffer from the idea that it's their job to fix like mm-hmm. a family household or a family dynamic. Um, I was really lucky to grow up with both of my parents in my household. And for that reason, 
it was really hard to express Mm -hmm. pain or express Mm. the fact that I wasn't okay with the way my household was looking and the way it felt Mm -hmm. because I had plenty of friends who would die to have a daddy, like stay and be around and hang out with them. Granted, my dad definitely like struggles with his own issues, Mm. but he was around. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just like trying to hold your tongue and keep the peace and Mm -hmm. saying, well, at least, or, Mm -hmm. well, I should be lucky or, or this, that, and the third and using those as, as tools to sweep real problems under the rug, as opposed to actually putting a voice to them. Mm. I definitely identify with what you're saying in terms of communication. I am finally realizing my family really struggles with apologizing. Mm -hmm. My family doesn't, that's not a thing that we do. Um, I'm Caribbean, I'm Haitian, first-generation American, and what an apology is in my family is like, or the way that just people show love in general is like, do you want some food? Are you hungry? Mm-hmm. And so there could be a big fight, a big falling out. Like, it's very normal for my grandfather to torch the earth mm-hmm. and then bring you a plate, and that's his way of saying, I'm He's sorry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I realized, I started to feel bad for feeling like I needed an apology, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even as a kid, I and and now, like, looking back at little Danielle and realizing, like, she needed to hear, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But she was constantly told, like, you need to get over that. Like, you're not going to get that apology. And you're you're actually kind of sorry for needing a sorry, you know. Yeah. And I've definitely taken that into my adulthood. Not only have I pushed down my own need to hear an apology, I chastise people that I think need an apology. Mm-hmm. Raven, you've talked about having a similar struggle. Yeah. As a black woman, I've always felt like... We don't get to be weak, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Of course. We know the stereotypes. We know the tropes. We know what we're up against. All of it. So the combination of that makes you feel like, again, twice as strong, twice as good. But part of me is equally as disappointed with, you know, my coworkers, people, whoever's around me, that they're showing vulnerability Mm -hmm. as I get with myself. Because Mm -hmm. it's just like... You read it as weakness. Yeah, I absolutely do read it as weakness. Asking for help, failing at a task, Mm -hmm. being behind, (laughs) not meeting your deadline. Mm -hmm. It one, it drives me crazy because I'm a Virgo, but right. just because of the way that I was conditioned as a child, like you keep pounding, you stay the course, you go, you go hard and you mm-hmm. do your best. Yeah. And especially just like because of the deck, the deck being stacked against us, I mm-hmm. get so enraged mm-hmm. when I feel like the person who's supposed to be across from me and just like me mm-hmm. is not um, holding up her end of the yeah, not of, even of the bargain, but of the whatever of the that fiction is that we <laughs> have, yeah, yeah, that we yeah. have started to believe is yes. true and really a part of the narrative. Yeah. Yes, and that's been so hard for me because I can't hold people around me to my weird expectations because mm-hmm. you know some something traumatic happened to me. Right, mm-hmm. right. And Although everybody need them to meet them deadlines. Though. Oh, absolutely, meet your deadlines. <laughs> but you know, I'm not gonna call you weak if you need a, a day or two. <laughs> Oh, I'll day. try one but, day not to. But yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say is it's not even so much about holding up your end of the bargain but for black women as much as it is about holding up your end of the burden. Right. Oh, like, my God. You know, yes. like it's like, come on, sis, like we in here. You going to make me hold this by myself and you look like me and and you know, I'm you, barely carrying my own. And you know, I'm barely and, and, and you, you know, know I'm barely carrying my own without me having to say it mm-hmm. yeah. or you should know. Mm-hmm. Right. There's this expectation that. 
you know, you should be you you should want to hold this burden too. Mm-hmm. And I almost have to appreciate, especially the black women who are like sis, I do not, mm-hmm. right? Who have freed themselves from that. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly something I'm still struggling with. Me is too. like, yeah, I'm gonna walk into any room and I'm going to hold that burden. As a black woman, it's like I feel like I'm supposed to be doing this, and mm-hmm. so I'm gonna do it. Like, yeah. but and you're right, like I shouldn't necessarily be judging any woman, but certainly a woman that looks like me for not internalizing the same kind of traumas I'm internalizing, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's even stickier when it's in the workplace because it's like, you want to respect the people that you're around. Yes. But it gets tricky when your traumas are wrapped up in your perspective. Mm. That is so true. Ooh! Thank my therapist for that. That was... Uh, Thank you, doctor. That's all her work right there. (laughs) I love your work. Is she a black woman? She is. Amen. My therapist is black as well. She's a black woman and, um, and I've always been very adamant about seeing a black woman the other thing that i've struggled with is again i've come from a caribbean family and this is just in general this is caribbean african african-american therapy in my family it was like the devil like what are you doing all you need is jesus you need to pray about it why are you going to therapy there was a point in my life where i really struggled with anxiety and depression and and i certainly still struggle with anxiety but i was definitely depressed um at, at this point in my life and it was like almost a whisper in my family. It was like, oh, Danielle's going to therapy. And I got really angry at my family for it because it was like, here I am taking agency. You know, it's, it's like me having cancer and not going to the doctor. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Has anyone had like a similar experience? Larice. I think with my family, everyone has very strong opinions about every freaking thing. My parents are not really big fans of therapy. My aunts are not really big fans of therapy. But my grandmother, who is someone who everyone always tells me that we're the same spirit. We're so much alike. She's very in tune with herself. She's very reflective. She's very interested in wellness. When my dad first started drinking really heavy... She told me that she's very blunt, too. Mm. She was like, y'all are not going to change him. Mm. The only thing you can do is go to therapy and find ways to cope. Mm-hmm. And mm. I was just like, nah, Grandma, like he going to stop. Da, 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 da. Mm. And she looked at me and said, your grandfather drank for 20 years. Mm. He is now an AA every week. But in order for us to be together still, I had to go to therapy to get Mm. myself the tools to deal with this. That's real. I ignored it for a really long time, like a really long time. It's also harder to find a therapist when you're that young, like at the time I was like an early teenager, preteen-ish. Yes. And it wasn't until I was sitting alone in my studio apartment at the time in New York for the first year of living here and just trying to deal with a family member back home diagnosed with severe bipolar disorder Mm. um, that was brought on by a very traumatic mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. I finally broke down and was like, I need help and Mm -hmm. I cannot carry this by myself. Mm. Um, And I remember my grandmother telling me like, you should go to therapy. You should go to therapy. And it wasn't until something really broke me that I truly went and listened to her. Mm, And to this day, my parents still have not looked into it for themselves. I want to I want to dig into that like that, you know, and and I no judgment against your parents for not looking into it themselves. Right. Because that is hard. And Channing, you've you've shared your struggle Mm -hmm. with 
getting to therapy because mm-hmm. I do think we are so much more open our generation for sure yeah. so much more open about how we talk about therapy and it's a very normal normal quote unquote thing to say my therapist said or this is thank my therapist for that you just oh said God. it right, I, now, right? The, if someone had a therapist counter for me the many, the many times I say that like truly it's like drink every time somebody says my therapist right water so, drink water so I, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> drink she water her eyes. I did roll my she eyes <laughs> but but <laughs> You know, I, it's almost now become taboo not to go to therapy. Right. So, Channing, talk to us a little bit about that and right. your struggle to to find a therapist or even trust the therapist at all. So it's hard for me to trust the therapist, one, because the therapist that my brother used, the relationship that the therapist had with my dad was not, I feel like, ethical. And so my brother never really felt comfortable, Mm -hmm. um, like, disclosing to a therapist. But also I feel like my dad, and he's a Virgo, Mm -hmm. would be like, I mean, I I just, I don't know. Like, he, like, he, I don't want to say he was demeaning the therapist, but I feel like he thought he was smarter than this person. And so I think. Just like a black man. Hello. Oh, my God. And I, so I think that I just was like, well, you know, maybe that's not for me or I don't trust a therapist. Mm. But then, you know, in New York, everyone has a therapist and it's almost seen. There's like a little bit of shame that I used to feel when I'm like, I'm not in therapy. I've been on therapist dates, but I feel like the way that I've dated a therapist is not unlike the way that I would like date romantically. I love that you call it dates. I love it. We had the dates and we've done the phone calls and the first in persons or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not wowed by this person. I don't Mm. feel comfortable with them. My spirit's Mm. not aligning. I don't know what it is. There's a block here. Mm. And so it never would progress. And so like, I think I've learned to lean on myself a little bit more. Like I journal, I write my prayers. Mm. I like have learned to internalize, but also like learn to listen for my spirit and like my intuition. Right. Yeah. I love that. I love the fact that we're calling, like, I just think a lot of the language we're using, this person's not going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. It's almost the same mm-hmm. way you have to look at your partner. Therapy is not going to complete you or fulfill you, but mm-hmm. doing the work yeah. is is really, it, it's on you. I think one thing um, in, the, in the same way in dating that can be difficult is, like, actually opening up to your therapist, mm-hmm. like, oh, being open and honest with your therapist. Larice, can you talk to us a little bit about that? It's really funny because I also have a black woman as my therapist and um, I immediately felt comfortable with her just because she looked like she could be my auntie. Mm. She got braids and everything too, y'all. Oh, I love that. Hey, Dr. Kira. (laughs) Um, But for some reason, it was a lot easier for me to talk to her about um, like family trauma Mm. as opposed to personal or current trauma and it's this weird thing because a therapist's job is literally to give you objective unjudged advice but I'm still protecting my personal character and slandering my daddy (laughs) like (laughs) I don't know why that's real Um, but like I I genuinely was like yeah like this man uh, read the field like I mean I love my dad me and my dad are like homies but you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Um, but like letting letting that out the bag but then when she's talking about like oh like but what about you and I'm like oh well well i'm not going there uh, it's even hard for me to talk about work yeah i feel so guilty for leaving work to go to an appointment and talk about work i'm like oh my god i'm breaking i feel like i'm breaking a rule Mm. i don't know why it Mm. doesn't i I get what you're saying though because it feels like therapy is for your family right Mm. it feels like therapy is to unpack like your home life and Mm. so when i talk about work i'm like 
Oh, yeah. But I feel like work can take so much out of you, though. So it's good that you have a space where you can, like, leave it somewhere. Because to, to show up at your workplace and be present is not an easy thing. Especially when you work in media, right? Like, yes. especially mm-hmm. as a person of color, as a black woman, mm-hmm. as a black person, when you literally have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, the things that are happening mm-hmm. and the things that we are covering are mm-hmm. actually our they're like violence against mm-hmm. our bodies, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Nia Wilson, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's Trayvon Martin, whether it's a lot of these stories, you know, the Philando Castile story obviously was so sad, but like his girlfriend just being like right there mm-hmm. watching this whole thing, documenting this whole thing as a black woman, it hits mm-hmm. so hard. Mm-hmm. And I think as a as a member of the media covering the media work can be traumatic mm-hmm. absolutely Larice, go ahead i just think that when those instances happen to you and you experience them really close up it hits a little different mm. and you take it with you i remember when freddie gray happened being completely like shocked yeah and it was weird because it's not like I didn't think these things happened. Mm-hmm. And also Trayvon Martin had happened prior to that. But that was different for you because it was in your hometown. It was Freddie my, Gray was in Baltimore. Yeah, it was it was in the town that I was living in. And to have like the actual community that you're in like directly affected. Like we were on curfew. We couldn't be out the house like past 10, 11 o'clock. And mm. um, it was something that was really just like hard for me to accept mm-hmm. seeing close up. I think after I went through that, the next summer, I, I came up to New York to mm-hmm. intern at MTV. And right after I'd experienced that traumatic experience, um, the shooting at Charlottesville happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember just completely breaking down in the office. And I'm typically not one to cry mm-hmm. at work. But I remember going to the bathroom and just letting it out because it just felt so surreal to me Mm -hmm. in the worst way Mm -hmm. possible Mm -hmm. and I am fortunate enough to have a manager at the time who respected that and gave me and everyone else the space that we needed to breathe but in reality as a social media editor your job is to be a quote-unquote digital first responder Mm -hmm. and that's that's my daily life Mm -hmm. and it's I I 100% identify with that and I do think I have some PTSD from HuffPost and just covering news Mm -hmm. in general yeah I think that I took from that that I just couldn't expose myself to. I, I refuse to desensitize myself to black pain. Mm-hmm. And and I will admit that I oftentimes feel badly about it. Like I feel there are a lot of people, there are times when a lot of people are like, did you see that video? Did you see this Absolutely such and such? Did you not. see that? Like my it. fiance is, he, and and he does this for opposite reasons, right? Like he wants to be upset. He never wants mm-hmm. to not be angry about black suffering. Mm-hmm. And I've and so he takes the opposite. Like he watches everything. But I have totally I've shut myself down from it because I'm like, I cannot desensitize myself right. to seeing people that look like me in pain. It's why I struggle to watch when they see us. I haven't yeah. seen on it Netflix. So I it's it it's I have a really hard time because I felt like I had to do it and I didn't have any autonomy and I didn't have any choice over mm-hmm. whether or not I did it. I struggle with just like choosing to expose mm-hmm. myself to it as mm-hmm. if it's like recreational because it's yeah. not. So we have gotten to the Don't At Me segment and this week's Don't At Me is going to be courtesy of our own Larice McMillian. 
When it comes to trauma and emotional well-being, everyone's needs will always be different. Mm. If you're someone who needs to address something and never talk about it again, do that. If you're someone who feels passionately about continuing controversial discussions, you should also be able to express yourself. Mm. The bottom line is you have to address trauma. You can't just sweep shit under the rug and expect problems or wins to go unsolved or uncelebrated. Okay, I've said my piece. Don't at me. Our warm wellness queen, Larise, just dropped, is very real. If you're ready to address your traumas and you need a little help doing so, we recommend therapyforblackgirls.com. And just a heads up, this episode isn't over yet. Coming up after the break, I speak with sex educator, model, and all-around cultural disruptor, Erica Hart. everyone. I am very excited because I have the honor today of speaking with the one and only Erica Hart. Hi, Erica. Hi. Hi how are you? Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It, I'm very excited for you to be here for this episode because this episode was, it's a lot. We talked about a lot. We dug into a lot um, about trauma and dealing with our own traumas and, you know, coming to term with a lot of things that that happened to us and you are we respect you incredibly as you know as an educator both of social justice of sexuality um just as a queer femme um activist just your whole existence (laughs) you are really out here like educating the community um so it's such an honor to speak to you today and to jump off you've spoken quite a bit about when you are misidentified or misgendered tell me a little bit about how that feels and 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 is that traumatic yeah um it is i think you know for a lot of people who get misgendered on a regular basis it's pretty it's absolutely traumatic and i think you know if you're talking about someone that identifies as white Mm -hmm. or maybe light skin or white passing and also identifies as trans or non-binary and uses pronouns that maybe folks would assume are different than how they look yes um their trauma may look a lot different than a black queer or trans person that's misgendered on a regular basis absolutely um i feel like as black queer and trans folks we are so often that people are misplacing our identity or um naming us something other than what we are whether it be violent or hypersexual or whatever it is i feel like we are so used to being something other than this is who i am Mm. and always having to assert ourselves that it feels it is traumatic but it's almost familiar wow yeah and it sucks that it's familiar like it makes me want to cry that the trauma is so familiar i was just about to say like that just was like a punch in the gut like Mm -hmm. that feels Mm -hmm. 
Like just the idea that the words trauma and familiar, like mm-hmm. you just come to internalize it and expect it. Mm-hmm. And that's traumatic in and of itself. Yep. Yeah. That hurts. Like yeah. that's wild. It sucks where you'll just and I have to speak too as the person of privileged right. um I, I guess cis passing privilege is what I would okay. call it. Yes. So as yes. a person that identifies as a non binary femme, yes. um, people think that I am cisgender. So that is cis right. passing. Right. I'm not cisgender, right. but people think that yes. I am. So and I use she her pronouns. Mm-hmm. So when people say things like "Hey ladies" or "Hey girls" yeah. or, and "Hey girl" is fine, but it depends on who it's coming from. Right? Wink, wink, you get what yep. I'm saying? Yo, I oh um, oh. <laughs> I think we all if get it's coming it. from us. I'm chill, but yes. anybody else is weird, and it right. feels it feels like misgendering, right? Yes. I feel like you're not you're just talking about us as who you think we are. Yes, and that doesn't it doesn't feel good, right? Um, so yeah, it's just always a it is a it's a dance, but it's also I have to mark my privilege. My partner is transmasculine yes. and is oftentimes misgendered. Right. Right. Um, and I like seethe. Like I'm like, oh God, like yeah. please, like, or I'll just interrupt folks and be like, actually, no. Right. Like because right. as a person in a privileged body, it's important for me Absolutely. to step up so he doesn't have to do s- that labor yes. all the time. Right. I love that you said that. Yeah, but it's like I'm uncomfortable. I can only imagine for right. him, in which I know because we talk about it, obviously, right, 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 right of course. Or he's just like, oh, if it's an older, he what did he say the other day? If it's an older um, black woman and they're misgendering, I just give them a pass. And I'm like, wow. why? See, but that's you something know? we do so much. Yeah, we, we just do make that. concessions that's, for people. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So we can just exist in a space oh, and not 100%. just be angry. 100%. Right? Or be true to whatever emotion that we're feeling. Maybe we're hella sad or maybe we're uncomfortable. Right. We want to leave. And right, right. We'll stay in spaces yes. when we're hella uncomfortable. All the time. And we, we could have left, but our trauma is like, just stay, be strong. Well, it's, you it's, know, you can stick it out. Absolutely. And you be said resilient. it because it's familiar. Mm-hmm. It, it, you kind of internalize it in this yep. way that like, and, and it wasn't until you said it that way that I was like, oh my gosh, like yep. that is for so many people, uh, particularly for black people, yep. that is so true. And, yep. and I think one thing that I think is really important for us to to touch on here is that I think that people think trauma looks a very specific way, yes. right? It has to be violent or it has to, you know, it has to be very grotesque, yes. right? But what we're talking about right now, just misidentifying or being misgendered, all of the examples you're saying right now feel like a very everyday, mm-hmm. you know, experience. So I don't know that people actually acknowledge it as trauma. Yeah, people always, whenever I talk about gender or where I'm teaching it, whether it be online or in a classroom, mm-hmm. I always speak about how misgendering is an act of violence. And people Ooh. will always contest with that, where wow. they're like, it's not violent yes. because I didn't punch them in the face. But right. I'm like, if it feels like a punch in the face, right? It, and who? how do you, as the person that's misgendering, get to say right. what's violent what's or violent. not? Right? Yes. And I do think we have to kind of expand our definition yes. of what is violence, because we live in such a violent society Absolutely. where we're oftentimes seeing physical violence. We don't talk about spiritual violence. Right. We don't talk about you know emotional violence. Yes. We don't talk about those things, but it's so very real. important to consider that if you're being called outside of your name all the time, that's you're gonna, it's violent. Yeah. You're going to... And... 
when you misgender someone and you have to correct them, right. if anybody else is listening that wants to harm someone for, you know, saying like, oh, I actually don't identify that way or I don't want to be called that way, mm. then you just put that person in harm's way. Wow. Right? So it is an act of violence. Yeah. And I think people really need to start seeing it that way and, you know, be less concerned about how they feel because they just misgendered someone. Right. And consider how the person that was misgendered feels. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's then trauma that comes with not acknowledging it as violence, right? Yes. Like it's just trauma yes. on top of trauma. Yes. And having to prove that things are violent, which is right. what black folks have to do all the, all time, the time. Right? Yes. It's like, yes, actually you did hurt my feelings. Like don't say things like that. Oh, you didn't speak to me when I walked in the room. That didn't feel good, right? Like you right. have to continue to almost like acknowledge your existence your humanity absolutely. over and over again absolutely that being queer or trans is just another stack of you know resilience and beauty but it's also a stack of marginalization right mm -hmm. absolutely and and i think that to, i want to go back to something you touched on in terms of the fact of like we're almost adding trauma to ourselves mm -hmm. by just kind of sitting in things that feel uncomfortable mm -hmm. for us like why do you think that is well, I think that there's no account no accountability process for the folks who cause harm. Yes. So let's say, for example, you're working at it doesn't even matter if you're a black person working in any sort of mm -hmm. office, whether it be an all black office, an all white office, uh, all a mixed POC. You're, you as a black body in this country are always going to experience violence. It doesn't matter where you work. Yes. It doesn't matter, especially yes. if you are a black femme person walking around you are going to experience violence in some way. Yes. If you have constantly spoken up about it since you were a kid, right. and maybe people have been like, it's okay, they didn't mean it, yep. that teaches you that you're just supposed to just suck it up. Yes. That you're never supposed to like really speak up about it because you're just supposed to forgive or mm -hmm. consider their feelings over their intent, right? right. Over how you right. feel, the right. impact. Right. So I think it's constantly living in a society of like, they didn't mean it. Right. Right. Or it's okay. Yes. Or you need to just stick it out a little bit longer. Stay there for a year so you can put it on your resume. When you know goddamn well that you need to just leave. Yes. Right. It's time for you to go. You need to take care of your body. And we don't value that. We don't value no. taking care of ourselves. You're right. Absolutely. We do face masks and bubble baths and then we call it self-care. But we don't consider that what we dealt with just walking down the street. Right. right. From street harassment to walking into the building and people not speaking to you or right. people, you know, treating you like you don't matter. Yes. Is violence. It's violence. You know, yes. so it's like you and you. What do you do? Like something like street harassment. What right. do you even do? Right. right. What is the accountability process exactly. for street harassment? Exactly. We can speak from, you know, the top of hills to be like, stop you know, yelling at us right, on the street right. and it still doesn't end. You get in survival mode. Right. Where you're like, give me the script. So many people write to me because, you know, I talk about racism and um, white supremacy often and people yeah. are like, you know, I'm I'm arguing with this person online and what do I say? I'm like, I don't know. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I honestly don't know. I feel like we might, sometimes we just need to sit with the fact that what they're saying is incredibly violent. Right. You know what I mean? And it's hurtful. And you might want to respond and say, actually, that's really hurtful to me. Right. That you're saying this or even asking me questions. Right. Like right. that. Like, you don't know. Why is it that you don't know these yes. things? Right. Because you're trying to understand their yes. perspective. Yes. People can't see gender. They're seeing gender markers and they're assuming something. Absolutely. The other thing I want to talk about, a traumatic experience that you've had. Yes. Um, you are a breast cancer survivor. Yes. Tell me about your journey, yeah. your experience. Um, yeah. 
I know that you've shared quite publicly, you were diagnosed at 28, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I was diagnosed at 28. I did a self-exam in the shower mm-hmm. and then I went to the doctor because I found I felt something unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, after mammograms, ultrasounds, all the things, biopsy of the lump that I found, um, I was diagnosed and went through treatment, chemotherapy for a year and a half, mm-hmm. not radiation, mm-hmm. had a double mastectomy and reconstruction surgery, which mm-hmm. just means that I have breast implants. Right. Um So, yeah. And I've just been I, you know, as a 28 year old, doctors would say to me, oh, you're so young, Mm -hmm. which is irritating because I'm a 28 year old sitting in your face with breast cancer. So you talking about me being young is not going to take away from the fact. Right. Right. Um, (laughs) um, So I do a lot of advocacy, like what I call like topless, quote unquote, topless activism, Mm -hmm. um, where I'll just be topless in spaces where folks can see me, especially like black, queer, young people. Yes. Um, So they know to check their chest. Or with their breasts, whatever they call mm-hmm. the situation on their on their body, right? Um, and that they do self exams, and then they find out what's going on with them. But yeah. yes, definitely breast cancer, completely traumatic. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. And is it? I mean, because you still do scans, yeah, 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 frequently. Oh, yes. There's a thing called scanxiety, which mm-hmm. is I think maybe in other communities, but definitely in the breast cancer community, right? So for me, I have to go every year, like once a year to get a scan mm-hmm. just to make sure cancer is nowhere else in my body or mm-hmm. hasn't returned. Right. Um, so it's terrifying because yes. you're like, you don't know what's going to come back. You don't know. You already had a, a result that resulted, a scan that resulted in right. cancer. Right. So what is this going to result in? And yes. you just get super in your head and you just like every possible result you right. try to work through yes. because you're trying to deal with the trauma before it comes and of we course. all know it just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Right? You kind of just have to meet it when it comes. Like, right. how am I going to react? What's going to happen? Has my doctor texted me back? Why hasn't he texted me back? He texted me back the last time. Why is he calling me? It's oh insane. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. It's just not fun no, at all. of course. It's of not, course not fun. So it's like it's what people say um, in jest is cancer is the gift that keeps on giving. Where it's like you just you it's never that okay now you're in remission everything is cool it's right. like you still have to keep going back because there's no cure or cures right. rather yeah what do you do how do you deal with it I mean w- one thing I'll tell folks is that I didn't actually go to therapy for the entire time like I was diagnosed wow. had chemotherapy yes. Also got a divorce, had reconstructive surgery. All of these things was happening. And I was like, oh, I should probably go to therapy. (laughs) So I literally went to therapy after all of it. And my therapist was like, so you finished your grad school program. You're getting You got married. You got divorced. You um, had breast cancer. You did all this surgery. You did chemotherapy. And now you're here. (laughs) I was like, Yeah. Your therapist was like, let yeah. me get my seatbelt right. on. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, now I'm here. Like, what do I what do? I do? Right. She's like, are you okay? Like, are you good? And right. I think I just start, like, breakdown crying. Right, of course. Because, again, like, as a black femme, how we, or not to speak for all black femmes, right. but what I've seen yes. is that we deal with trauma to just be power through it. Exactly. Like, I'm I- strong. Like, my mom um, had breast cancer and passed from breast cancer. And my memories of my mom is strong powerful it's never sad i think my mom was maybe sad one time wow and i don't even think i saw tears like it was like wow i gotta work she worked through her diet like being diagnosed like going through treatment like went to work while she was on chemo and chemo was a lot different 15 years ago absolutely so you know i'm i was i was just powering through things i was on autopilot 
Oh my god. Like I didn't let myself break. I also worked through um while I was on chemo, I slept in like classrooms and took breaks and barely ate anything because it's it's real you could be um nauseous when you're right, on chemo right, as a right. side effect. Yes. So yeah, it was very, very, very challenging. And what? it was it was great to go to therapy to just have a break from always being on like strong. Right. Right. right and always. having permission to just break down. Yes. You exactly. know, exactly. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. What made you want to go? Um, like, what was the thing? Probably my marriage ending mm. was like the thing mm. more than breast cancer. Like mm -hmm. I've always say that breast cancer was not the worst thing that happened to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm a black person in the United States. So <laughs> it's like breast cancer right. is like on a, on a, it's on, it's, it, it's up there, but yes. it's not yes. the worst. Right. Right. But divorce is hard. It felt like everything was crumbling down. It wasn't registering for me what was happening. Right. Um, I also have a bad memory, which I think is attributed to trauma. Oh, absolutely. Where it's like, I don't remember a lot of things from 100%. our relationship, especially 100%. like arguments. Like some of my best friends would be like, you argued about this and I thought you would bounce when that happened. I'm like, Wow. I don't even remember. Yes. And that's just how my, I just know that that's how my brain is set up to just deal. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely a defense yep. mechanism. Totally. It is a way that, I mean, there are certain, there are large chunks of things that I just don't recall. There was a lot of violence in my household growing up and there are just things that I don't remember yep. at all. Yeah. Um, and I do think that that's our brain's way yep. of coping. Yep. Absolutely. You yep. have to disassociate it. Yep. And in your case, you're there's so much happening. Mm -hmm. Like there's just mm -hmm. so much going on. Yep. And I can't even imagine how your brain even makes sense of it. Now I say like I've put in my trauma, mm -hmm. like I'm good. I've done my due diligence with pain. I'm good. Like I'm good for at <laughs> right. least the rest of my life or at least the next 30 years where I just need things to be good. And yes. that's it. Right. You earned it. <laughs> I earned it. I'm good. Like please, whatever sure. higher power, God, somebody, Buddha, right. Allah, please, like I'm good. <laughs> Does your medical past sort of affect the way that you move through life today? You know, yeah. how, how does it affect you today? Um, a lot of folks will watch what they eat mm -hmm. and things like that. And when I first diagnosed and going through chemo, when I finished chemo and I could actually eat something, yeah. I was like, okay, got to have all greens, no alkaline water, all these things. And I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, please give me the wine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it does, because it's always in the back of my mind. You could just be in that world of yeah. like, I got to eat this. I got to exercise this much and da, da, da. And like... Cancer doesn't discriminate. Like right. athletes get cancer. Like right. dietitians get cancer. Absolutely. It doesn't matter what you're eating. Like you walk outside the pollution, whatever it might be, right. the causes you could get caught up in. Yes, yes. Um. So the thing that I take care of most is my mental health. Mm. So going to therapy is such a huge thing for me. Yes. Right before I have a scan. <laughs> The therapy is booked, right? <laughs> like even leading up to it, it's like, okay, what are my thoughts? Even of me having like fat phobic thoughts around mm. my health, like, oh, I had pizza the other night and then I had wine and then I had a burger and my cancer coming back. Like these are wow. real thoughts that I have wow. that I have to get worked through that are like, this is not actually real. It's not yeah. based on any sort of reality. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's Gosh. the that's the health that I have to take care of the most because Whatever's going on in my body, I can't, you can't control. Right. Like, you just can't. And that's I, hard for me because I love to control. But I love that you say that. I think this is stuff that we don't even think about very often. Yeah. Just setting up therapy appointments where it's like, I know that this is about to be difficult for me. Yeah. Let me 
do take the care work. Of myself. Let me take care yeah. of myself. Yeah. Or even just being stressed, like family stuff, you know, like yes. what's going on in my relationship. Like stress yeah. is not good for right. you. Right. And people will drink a smoothie, but then be hella stressed out right. and think that that is like, yes. I guess the smoothie's supposed to balance you out. I have no idea. <laughs> but like, you got to check on your stress, sis. Yeah. Like, and it's. <laughs> That is so real. Yes, and I'm really just talking to myself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm receiving. Whoever's all of listening, it. I'm really. talking I think to me. we are all receiving. Yes. It. <laughs> Truly, <laughs> I want to uh, kind of cap it off with if you could share anything with our audience yeah. about trauma, how yeah. to deal with it, how to how to acknowledge it, how to work through it. Yeah. Um, what would you say? I would say it's not a function of time. Mm. Um, like my dad used to say it all the time and I kind of resent him, for, not resent him for it, but I just don't like that mm. phrasing of like time heals all wounds yes. or, you know, in time you'll get past it. Cause I don't think I'm ever going to get over my mother passing. Of course. And I, he told me that when I was 13 and now I'm 33 and mm. I'm still not over it. Right. Right. So I just feel like you have to be gentle with yourself. Right. Um, and not try to rush through something, not try to get over it quickly. Yes. Um, not try to move on really fast. Like if your healing is not, it, it's not linear, right? Mm. It's all over the place. Sometimes yes. it sucks. Sometimes it's great, but that doesn't mean that you're not healing. Yes. Um, I also feel like people think that healing looks like a yoga class and sitting in, I don't know, child's pose or having tea and looking out into the ocean, whatever it might be. <laughs> it might look like turning up at a bar right. and having a drink, right? Yes. It might look like doing those things. Right. And I think it's important to exercise harm reduction mm-hmm. um, and to just be, again, gentle with yourself and do what feels good for you. Don't follow someone else's healing modes. Yes. Um, do what works for you. Amen. That's what I would say. And, I it, you know, it's, it, it's, it sucks sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's going to suck and it hurts. And I think it's important for us to go through that hurt rather than trying to move on from it or um, numb it or do mm. something other than just be in it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen. I hope y'all were taking notes <laughs> because really I'm just going to have to re-listen to this entire interview and get my whole life again. Erica Hart, thank you thank so you. much for being here thank with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to the Go Off Sis podcast. Thank you all for taking the time to listen today and for addressing trauma with us. Tune in next week when we dissect some of the reasons why black women have such a hard time letting go of their homophobia. The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Jay Brunson, Anissa Richmond, and me, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Anna Costanza with the help of Ethan Cannon. My co-hosts today were Channing Hargrove, Larice McMillian, and Raven Baker. Like what you've heard? Head over to iTunes where you can find all of the episodes of Go Off Sis. While you're at it, leave us a comment and let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started on Instagram at R29Unbothered. Thank you.